Good morning, guys. Welcome to another episode of Vietnam Innovators. I'm your host, Hao Tran, every single week. Uh, thank you for tuning in and supporting the show. Without you, without me, without the studio, could not all be possible without our beloved audience and listeners. So thank you so much for tuning in each week and supporting the show. And of course, thank you to our guests. Uh, we, have a, we have a guest here today. He's the CEO of Nestle. Uh, in Vietnam, uh, Binu Jacob. He uh, has been around for a couple couple years in Vietnam. Two years, two now. years now, but he's been with Nestle for 25. So a lot of insights that we can share today, and of course, talk about what he's doing and his team in, in Vietnam for the many years to come uh, of Nestle here in Vietnam. Binu, that's enough for me. Um, Want to hear from you? Welcome to the studio. First off, uh, thank you. Hal. Binu, let's just start off, you know, 25 years at any company uh, is, is long, let, let alone, um, you know, in your entire career basically has been Nestle. Let's talk about that. Um, where'd you get your start and how'd you end up here? When I joined Nestle 25 mm. years ago, I had no idea that I would be here 25 years later. Yeah. Like most young people at the time, my thinking was I join, work for five years, yeah. get the stamp on my resume and then I leave. Mm. Uh, but here I am 25 years later. I started my career with Nestle in India as a trainee. I went through the whole grind of doing marketing sales and then I ended up in, um, in Consumer Insight and that was a revelation to me of how much you could really make a difference by just understanding the consumer. So I had a solid foundation in, in consumer mm. and then I moved into uh, brands. I handled uh, Milo for many years, then nutrition for some time but really the turning point in my career was when I moved to Switzerland as a global marketing manager on nutrition and from then on I went to the US. I spent a few years there, went back to India as the regional business head for South Asia for nutrition, then went to China, uh, did the same thing for about four years and two years, uh, last two years I'm here in uh, Vietnam. Fantastic. So you've, you've seen the world from how consumers in the West and the Asia and emerging markets, um, you know, consume products, everything from food to water to milk. Yeah. Um, lots of insights. A lot there. of insights and also it was an eye-opener mm. because, you know, when you work in one market, sometimes you tend to believe uh, the world is... is is just what you see. Yeah. And I was kind of close-minded for many years mm. working in India. And when, when I moved to the center, some of the dogmas that I believed in were completely changed. And I started seeing things from a different perspective. Yeah, fantastic. From India to Switzerland, to the US and China, super different markets, yeah. but Vietnam, it's the most special of all, uh, or at least in my opinion. <laughs> um, and you've been here for two years. What do you think of the market opportunity here? Yeah. What is it for Nestle? Yeah, it's a, you know, it's an interesting one because uh, maybe early 2020, mm. my wife and I, after spending about four years in China, we were discussing about where next. Mm. And coincidentally, both of us came with Vietnam. And serendipitously, just two weeks later, I get a call from the CEO of Asia, Oceania, and Africa yeah. asking me if I would like to move to, to Vietnam. Mm. And it was one of those things where I didn't have to consult my wife. Yeah, yeah. And in a split second, I said yes. Amazing. And then a few months later, I, I landed here. But for me, the most interesting thing about Vietnam mm. is there are many markets in, in the zone in, in, in uh, Asia that are fast growing, where the opportunity is very big, mm -hmm. where uh, FMCG is still at its very nascent stage. And Vietnam is one of them. So in my opinion, that doesn't make Vietnam that special. Mm. But I think the one thing that does make Vietnam very special is the attitude of the people. Mm. I haven't seen many places in the world where the people, there's one characteristic I believe of the Vietnamese people that's kind of unique. Mm. It's individualistic collectivist. Mm. 
people are very driven by strong individual aspirations mm. to do well in life to succeed in life for themselves and for their families and, but at the same time what's different is they don't want to achieve the success at the expense of somebody else mm. they want to achieve the success in a way that they gain reputation they gain the respect of people around they get the societal acceptance so this combination of strong personal ambition combined with a strong need for societal belonging i think is fairly unique in vietnam mm. fantastic you know talking about uh, you didn't have to it was a split decision once you got the call because it was almost pre-agreed somehow um what what were the reasons for that you know uh consensus yeah. that you had i'd like to say it's a very practical decision but the mm. reality is it was a very emotional decision mm. my wife and i spent our 10th wedding anniversary in vietnam okay uh, about 12 years ago mm. and we loved the place it's one of those places where you come in and say you know you belong here mm. it's just the people are so warm they're welcoming so it was it was a combination of many things if you, you feel good when you come to that place it's like uh, you know a lot of people who believe in feng shui mm-hmm. uh, i don't really understand feng shui but the one thing i do understand to believe in it is when you walk into a place you feel the energy mm. and you feel something right about it and vietnam was one of those places where we both immediately walked into vietnam and we said yeah this place we love this place oh, fantastic Well that's great to hear uh, your experience has has been so positive uh, from the beginning to now. Um and you know on that note 2 years if we wind the back the clock a little bit that's ar- around when the pandemic started um and you joined at right at the height of it. W- what was that transition like? Did you have a proper handover from your predecessor? Uh, maybe it was over Zoom or you know meets or whatever you call these yeah, days but uh, that's um, an interesting one. I you know to some extent i f- i think i was lucky mm. because i moved from china mm. so when i moved from china early 2020 uh, china had already experienced the pandemic mm-hmm. to some extent it kind of prepared me both mentally uh, and also from a very logical point of view what to do so when i walked into vietnam i had a one week handover with my predecessor and then suddenly vietnam went into a lockdown mm. but the good thing is in that one week's time we could anticipate what was coming because i'd seen what covid had done in china just two months prior to that so i had a two month lead but in my opinion when i look back i think it's one of the best decisions i took at the time mm. coming in and just leveraging off the learning from china and just accelerating yeah. things and putting the structure you were you were on fire <laughs> right when you went <laughs> absolutely you know when, when i look back it's um, there's no way we could have prevented the pandemic from yeah, yeah. from impacting our business mm. but at least i think we prevented pandemonium inside the organization because there was a lot of confusion yeah, chaos yeah, yeah. people didn't know what to do well yeah it helps um i guess um you know the fire of baptism that's the the f- phrase you would use in the US um where your team who who's new with you um could see how you react as a leader right how you manage yeah. that crisis and um i guess you couldn't ask for a better onboarding as well i guess you would say you so. know it's, it's may sound surprising mm. but uh, to some extent i enjoy mm. whenever there is crisis mm. because i just feel when it's crisis it brings out the best in people mm-hmm. you know you can you can steer the the business direction the way you want because mm-hmm. in a crisis people are willing to change yes when everything is going well i've also been in business situations where things were perfect there was no need for change mm-hmm. but i always felt a little bit uncomfortable in those situations because i always believe you need to change irrespective mm-hmm. of whether you are in a comfortable position or not right right Let's take a step back a little bit. I think thank you for that introduction and and you know into your career and how things got started here in Vietnam. Uh Bino, um Nestle, I think no introduction needed. It's very recognizable anywhere. Uh we've got a number of products including Levi, mm-hmm. my favorite water brand. Um here in Vietnam but across the globe as well. How does a CEO at Nestle define innovation 
Uh, hence, you know, we're on Vietnam Innovator Show, of course. When the ecosystem that you guys have built uh, is is quite, um, you know, structured, well known already. Uh, what, how, how does innovation work, work within that framework? The way uh, we define innovation is mm. innovation has to satisfy three criteria. Mm-hmm. First, it has to meet a strong unmet consumer need. If, there is, if it's not going to meet a strong consumer need, there is no basis for innovation. Mm. The second is it, we need to have a strong technical superiority. Something that's unique that we are bringing to the table that would be hard for competitors to copy. And the third is financial viability. It, you need to make money out of this. Otherwise, it's not innovation. Mm. So for us, it has to meet the sweet spot between these three. If it doesn't, it's not innovation. It's just mm. novelty that we're bringing to the market. But this framework is a general framework mm. that I'm sure a lot of companies would have similar frameworks to define what innovation is. But I think what's unique about Nestle is uh, there are a couple of other things that we add to it. First is we are a food company. And for a food company, innovation has to be local. It has to make sense to the local consumer. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is food, we believe, is also medicine. So to that extent, the food that we bring in should add some nutrition, health or wellness aspect to to what we're introducing. And the third one is we are a very large organization. So we have a responsibility to the planet. Mm. So whatever we bring in has to make sense from a sustainability point of view. So it's three things. Innovation has to be local. Mm -hmm. Innovation has to be good for you and innovation has to be good for the planet. That sounds quite intimidating in terms of the requirements you have to fulfill. I mean, intimidation yeah. in that respect uh, can be a good thing as well, right? It gets, it gets the best out of people, as, as you sure. would say. Um, how do you make it easier though? You're right, you know, innovation is not easy, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there's no rocket science to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a combination of art and science. Mm-hmm. So you have to put some structure to it because if you don't put any structure to it, you might end up with a lot of novel products that make no sense. Mm-hmm. So we have a very structured process in Nestle that we call the I2L, idea to launch. Mm. So at every stage, how do you come with new ideas? There is a process that we follow. How do you then vet it? How do you consumer test it? So we have stage gates that we check at every stage to see is it still relevant to what the idea was. Mm. You know, at the beginning, we ha- it has to undergo these three tests of consumer desirability, financial viability, and technical superiority. But that might change or, or, you know, along the, the path of innovation. Mm. So we check it and then we say yes, no, and we stop innovations that don't make sense. Now, uh, the good thing is innovation can come from anywhere. It's not that it's only going to come from the marketing department. Yeah. So we allow for ideas to flow from anywhere. Mm. And ideas do come on services, on the value chain, etc. But typically product innovation is led by, by two units. It's the business unit and our local R&D. Mm. So they work together to bring innovation to life. Let's talk about the, the pandemic and how you guys not only weathered that storm, but perhaps leveraged it to uh, lead to innovation or at least some sort of change, uh, process perhaps uh, change. What were some of those changes that you guys made during that time that has actually led to more efficiency, more innovation, um, or even a, a adopted re, uh, re-adopted mindset? Uh, rethinking what you're doing. Yeah, no, that's a good question. In our opinion, there are many things that the pandemic has done in terms of shifting some of the trends. Now, to be fair, to some extent, the pandemic just accelerated some of the trends that were there prior to, to, uh, to the 2020. So in our view, there are five big changes that the pandemic brought about, which are long-term in nature. The first is how consumers view uh, health and value for money. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a very important one because in, in Vietnam, we saw that consumers 
gravitating more and more towards more natural more fresh products mm. during the pandemic than even before uh, in in general vietnamese consumers are, are look at freshness and naturality more than other consumers in this part of the world mm. so that trend accelerated significantly yeah. the other interesting thing was value for money how in in other parts of the world during pandemic when income levels dropped people started going towards cheaper products in vietnam the opposite happened mm. people started going towards more premium products bigger pack sizes because one the vietnamese consumers are actually smarter they 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 measure how much they're going to get if they buy a larger pack versus a smaller pack and, and in most cases larger packs more make more economical sense than smaller packs so they migrated to large packs at the same time in certain categories they were willing to pay more to get better quality and of course they would have made sacrifices elsewhere they eat, don't eat out so much don't travel as much so all that money they re- reinvested back into into products that really helped them get more value during the pandemic a good good example of this is um, is infant formula in infant formula we saw a dramatic increase in people buying super premium and ultra premium products mm-hmm. so we shifted our portfolio our portfolio was in the premium segment and we were quite happy and quite comfortable thinking that segment would grow mm-hmm. but we suddenly started seeing people going even higher mm-hmm. so we had to quickly bring in some some products from uh, from other markets that in, weren't here already that weren't here already okay. so we launched um, something called nan infini pro mm. during the pandemic it was a new product that really addressed that was the first product with a2 milk okay. and a2 milk is uh, you know it's a longer story but it's really more natural the way milk is supposed to be mm. mm-hmm. the other big change we saw was digitalization and digitalization yes was already there you know mm-hmm. pre pandemic 20% of vietnamese consumers were using mobile wallets but post pandemic that number is 70 70 more than tripled so what this means is that for us there are new opportunities to do business and internally we completely restructured the organization on digital mm. so earlier digital was mainly digital marketing or e-commerce right now we have an end to end digital team it's called the digital acceleration forum mm-hmm. starting from sourcing manufacturing procuring producing uh, selling and uh, and even consumer marketing and this forum we meet every month all the cross functions mm. they share what they're doing on each of these and one of the most amazing things for me the realization that the factory people came up with the most digital solutions mm. dur- during the pandemic we created like 56 apps within the factory wow. to make factories paperless uh, and all this to some extent was driven by by uh, the pandemic because mm. we had to get more efficient mm-hmm. cut the waste we didn't have people Mm-hmm. during the height of the pandemic we were running short of manpower mm-hmm. and so we had to automate things we had to digitize things to get more uh, efficient and that stays you know the benefit is now the baseline has become the efficiency we gained last year mm-hmm. and now we have to improve on top of that it, it looks like the benchmark for the standard and success is is higher than ever it's higher than it's ever it's higher than and ever and i'm very happy about it yeah yeah because last year we we did get impacted because mm. we didn't have manpower we, mm. we lost uh, some potential sales because mm. we couldn't produce enough right right but uh, this year thanks to that i think we are benefiting even more okay well that goes to my next question which is um all companies have different ways of measuring success mm-hmm. in our case as a startup uh i mean we are almost 100 people now at Vietcenter actually full time and uh we're changing how we measure success every few months um 
we have short-term goals, but the long-term goal always is consistent, of course. How do you guys measure success at, at such a large organization across so many different functions? Is there a, a bigger team unifying goal that you measure success against, or is it more measurable in, in short quantities? How does that work? Uh, yeah. By the way, this is like a mini MBA course for me, I feel like. So thank you yeah, for sharing. No, that, that's, a, yeah. that's an interesting one because, I mean, most companies would measure success based on business results, mm. which is purely what we call lagging measures. Mm-hmm. These are measures, if you do a lot of the right things, mm-hmm. the results would come. By the way, there are two schools of thought on, on this. Mm-hmm. There are some people who believe yeah. that if you focus just on the results, everything else gets taken care of. But we come from the school of belief that you need to do the right things. If you mm-hmm. do the right things, then results come. Mm-hmm. We focus on people, results come. You focus on digital, results might come. You focus on innovation, results will come. So we we actually have a balanced way of looking at success, not only at end, end goals, which is why we're a little bit more of a long-term company than most other FMCG mm-hmm. companies. We think really long-term. Mm-hmm. So we have we have about nine KPIs that we track. Mm-hmm. And depending on who uh, is the person, they would have a different set of KPIs. Mm-hmm. So if you're in, if you're in a digital marketing team, your KPIs would be more linked to what percentage of your data acquisition is getting used. Mm-hmm. So, so we have broadly... The, the, the same result KPIs, which is on growth, profit, market share. Uh, this is probably universal for most companies. Mm-hmm. But on top of this, we have a lot of leading KPIs. Mm-hmm. For instance, what percentage of our growth is coming from innovation? Mm-hmm. This is a leading KPI. Mm-hmm. Maybe one year, if, you, it, if it's low, you will pay the price a few years later. Mm-hmm. I see. Uh, we look at uh, carbon footprint. How much uh, greenhouse gas impact mm-hmm. have, have we have on the business today? And by 2025, how much is that going to reduce by? And we have a target for each of these. You guys are like future-proofing your KPIs in a way. Like you're, you're doing things now so that 5, 10, 15 years later, yeah. uh, you're already in a position to uh, either defend your market share or grow your market share in some cases. And Which is why a company like Nestle, you will not see us growing dramatically mm. but you will not see us growing going down also dramatically mm. at a global scale it's we always, always maintain a certain level of growth and we've been doing this for the last 150 years mm. it's consistent mm. because of this long-term uh, focus so sometimes in the short term we might lose because mm. we're, we're not that short-term focused to just capture every single opportunity out there because mm-hmm. we always keep one eye on the future mm. um, with that in mind um, and it's almost an obvious question i feel like but it's needed um, to ask the work culture, because of that long-term mentality, um, are you looking to bring in, uh, you know, new teammates that that want to adopt that as well? You, you mentioned twenty-five years at Nestle, yeah. um, which is basically forever, <laughs> your entire professional career, basically. Um, but here, in, let's take, you know, Vietnam is not uh, the only, you know, country having these difficulties right now. But people are job hopping a lot. Um, yeah. uh, one year here, one year there, and sometimes um, it's hard to. Uh, convince uh, the Gen Z, especially that, hey, if you think further down the line, the next even five years, even five years is enough already, right? But let alone, uh, let alone twenty-five. Uh, but some are leaving after one. Um, what what is the work culture to help um, kind of filter down your experience and all the other senior leaders at Nestle to the to the new folks that are joining? Yeah, no, this is a this is a, I mentioned five trends that mm. are shifting. Right? This is the fifth one. Yeah the changing expectations of employees mm. today, especially post-pandemic, it's, it's uh, accelerated quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So this is a challenge that all of us are facing. It's, it's not new for us. But the way we always measure ourselves is attrition will stay. Mm. It will be there. You cannot avoid it. Mm. But our, our objective always is 
our attrition should be 50% of the industry. Mm -hmm. And for the last seven, eight years, we've always been maintaining this. Our attrition is always the lowest in the industry. Mm -hmm. And But post-pandemic, yes, we are also experiencing more attrition than before. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that's where the work culture comes back. And we have a rather unique work culture, I would say, mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, it's interesting. The, the word Nestle comes from the founder, Henry Nestle. Mm -hmm. And Nestle in, in uh, German, he was he's Swiss German. Nestle in German actually means a nest. Mm. So to some extent, our culture is that of a nest mm. where we care for people. We have a very caring culture where we support each other. And I've worked for a very brief time in other companies as well, mm -hmm. where there's a little bit of internal competition. In Nestle, you won't, not, you won't find internal competition. Mm -hmm. People are willing to help and support each other and onboard each other, just like a family would. Mm. And the second thing is we encourage a place where people are free to express themselves without any fear of retribution. Uh, so we allow people to to openly talk, to discuss, to challenge and question in each uh, each other. And and lastly, I think the the culture is such that we uh, don't expect people to change themselves mm -hmm. and because everybody is unique. Everyone has has a say. So we encourage diversity, and we don't want everyone to become uh, robots or or uh, you know change themselves to become to fit with the company. If they're comfortable with themselves, we are very comfortable having them. Would you say your experience today has been consistent with what you experienced 25 years ago? And what I mean by yeah. that is, you know, when you were a trainee, is is experience relatively the same? I mean, you have computers now, but <laughs> I'm, I'm curious if, yeah. if that experience is consistent. Yeah. You know, I can say that with a certain amount of confidence mm. because I've worked in so many different Nestle markets. Mm -hmm. uh, every market I go to, there are changes, mm -hmm. but there are some things that are really consistent about mm -hmm. Nestle wherever you go. Mm -hmm. The same set of values. A lot of this is another interesting aspect. Many companies, when they move from one country to another, mm -hmm. uh, they change their values and they try to suit the values of the of the of the culture prevalent in that place. Mm -hmm. um, Nestle is the opposite. Mm -hmm. We change our strategy. Many companies keep the strategy. Mm. They launch the same products and they, whether they go to Cambodia, whether they go to Afghanistan. Uh, and But they change the values and they try to operate differently. Mm. We are the opposite. Mm -hmm. We don't. We keep our values irrespective of where we operate, but we change our strategy. The products are different. The portfolio is different. So you will see that some of the Nescafe products here, you will not find it anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. They're unique to, Nes to, to Vietnam because the Vietnamese taste buds are different. Their taste is different. So that's, that's uh, for me, an uh, interesting... Uh, story about Nestle, how we retain the same set of values. Well, talking about products, I mean, I'm sure people are thinking, you probably have hundreds, right? Um, if not more than that. Um, I'd love for you to kind of show a couple while we're, while we were on that topic of uh, localized products. Yeah. So Nescafe, global brand, but Vietnam, what do you, what do you have, Binu? What do you have to share? Yeah, we have uh, quite a few, but I was coming back to what your question earlier mm. about how do you define innovation and mm. how is that a little bit different? Mm. We adapt our innovation to meet the needs of local consumers. But at the same time, we also have bring in global products. So we have a mm. perfect marriage between these two. So I can give you two examples. One is a product that is still a little bit not yet announced. Mm. Uh, we will be announcing it soon. And that's the launch of Starbucks. Mm. So you may have read that uh, Nestle acquired the retail business of Starbucks. The really? coffee shops, the coffee oh. shop still belongs to, to Starbucks. Okay. But Everything oh, the else. retail business, right? The retail business, okay. what they were selling in the U.S. for Coffee instance, beans. Yeah, the, they, they sell yeah. coffee beans. They sell uh, instant coffee mm. in uh, all the stores. So that business we've taken over because we believe this is a 
perfect marriage between mm. brand that many consumers love mm. especially in many parts of the world mm. but at the same time we have the technical knowledge of processing coffee buying coffee at scale leveraging the technology we have mm-hmm. and the uh, the uh, know how of how to get it in retail mm. so it's been on for about 3 uh, and a half years with uh, remarkable results in many parts of the world so okay. we're very very pleased to uh, to bring that to vietnam mm. so the Viet- in vietnam i think uh, starbucks has an amazingly uh, strong reputation mm-hmm. especially with the younger a population and the premium consumers mm-hmm. uh, so we want to leverage that and bring starbucks into retail so we will be okay. launching this very very soon yeah yeah in the market okay just starbucks um, barista range of of coffees okay so for those of you listening on the podcast version of today's show um we've got a caramel latte and a cafe mocha um and we yeah. have more i just brought yeah, of course yeah just a few here today <laughs> um very cool but yeah that's a that's a big uh change for you guys yeah. or addition so, so people who want who love nescafe uh, oh. starbucks and they go to a coffee shop and they want to have the same experience at home we have the solution okay i want to uh, take a you know a bit of a step back and, and and talk about a couple other things at at nestle uh one of which you know talking about work culture um what's it like working at nestle how to measure success um i understand you guys have uh quite the emphasis on the trainee program you went you went yes. through it yourself and there's something called spark your way that's a global initiative no it's a local initiative local initiative yeah. okay and and what was the synthesis behind this whole local initiative why are you doing it okay so this is where i said we always try to understand the local uh, needs and then we try to marry it with our, our global propositions mm-hmm. so uh, the spark your way came about two and a half years ago uh talking to our own employees you mentioned that some of the young gen z's etc their mm. expectations are a bit different from from uh, uh from what uh, many of the millennials uh, expressed themselves many years ago mm. so we try to understand these young employees and their needs and one of the things we we uh, learned is that they when they join a company mm-hmm. they want to have the freedom and the ability to drive change and to make change at the same time they don't want to change themselves mm. for the company so this is how we came, and this is kind of consistent with our own belief as well it's just that we didn't find a way to express this into a proposition that people would say hey i get it so we toyed with quite a few thoughts you know one of the thoughts was at nestle you can be you mm. you don't need to change yourself mm-hmm. but we said let's go beyond that because what they're expecting is not just that they don't want to change themselves but they want to change the company mm. so at nestle you can spark your way you can change the the organization you have a say uh, even if you're a young person to make make some difference to this company so that's how the whole concept of spark your way came about but it's not just spark your way but spark your way for what mm-hmm. and for for us it is spark your way to be a force for good mm. and that's why you you've you come into the company you can make a difference to be a force for good because force for good is our universal proposition uh, that you can be a force for good and in and in vietnam we kind of tweaked it to say spark your way to be a force for good how many trainees are going through the program today uh we have about 20 trainees right now mm-hmm. who just actually joined yesterday okay <laughs> the new batch but every mm-hmm. year we have about 20 trainees who come in mm-hmm. and these are the management trainees but mm-hmm. apart from that we also hire uh, sales trainees and yep. at, at uh, So okay. I joined as a trainee myself 25 mm. years ago mm-hmm. and the reason why Nestle we still believe in this traineeship program is that um it's been successful it's well, been successful and yeah. a lot of the CEOs and the man- management teams mm. world over mm. uh, there is a significant proportion of them who came through the management trainee program mm. so it's it's 
that's one reason the second reason is i mentioned we have a fairly unique culture mm-hmm. not everybody can fit into this culture uh, unless you come in early if mm-hmm. you come in as a mid hire career after spending 10 15 years in another company you might find this a little bit different from what other companies are because we are not we are not a company that is heavily focused on just bringing results we really focused on on how you bring those results mm-hmm. the leadership qualities that you bring how you motivate your team how you inspire your team how you develop your team these are things that we look for more than just are you delivering results yes or no mm. excellent we touched on quite a bit you know everything from how you guys think about innovation from your career uh, at nestle um what trainees can expect in in their career and measuring success and many other things um what's in the pipeline aside from starbucks uh <laughs> that you, that you're excited about this year yeah there are of course for me innovation is my passion mm-hmm. and i strongly believe when i look back and i came here and said what made nestle we are so successful mm-hmm. uh, it's it's actually one of our most successful markets in terms of growth mm-hmm. uh, and when i look back and really try to decode it mm-hmm. uh, my aha was that this is one market that focused heavily on very strong consumer centric innovation where we have a high ability to win mm-hmm. and we focused only on a few we didn't do too many things So that focus that razor sharp focus on innovation is what made us successful. Mm. So my ambition in the next few years is to bring that momentum back. How can you focus on a few things that make a difference to lives of consumers where we have strong ability to win and we have a financial viability and then invest and invest in those to to make this flywheel growth momentum happen. Mm. So that's clearly something that keeps me awake at night. It's, mm. it's, it's excites me because <laughs> I spent many years in innovation. Yeah. So that's definitely something that uh, is in the pipeline many more new products this is only one there's a there's another one which we getting into plant based mm. uh, leading the trend plant based is still very small mm-hmm. and the percentage of vegans in vietnam is 1.3% mm. it's very small mm. but the big opportunity we see is almost 45% of vietnamese are, f- are conscious flexitarians mm-hmm. which means consciously they choose sometimes to have vegetarian sometimes to have meat mm. and this conscious uh, decision offers a lot of opportunities for us mm. so we are looking at how to bring in more plant based uh, food products in and we're just going to launch a plant based oyster sauce unheard of in the market yeah i've i've got it right here actually <laughs> i'll quickly show it here um okay yeah plant based oyster plant based oyster actually okay. it comes from mushroom hmm. but you get the same taste and the same aroma of of an oyster sauce is this only present in vietnam at the moment it's only it's an innovation by vietnam for for vietnam hmm. in fact when we launched oyster sauce about 12 years ago hmm. in vietnam nobody knew what oyster sauce was hmm. right but it came from the insight that vietnamese wanted to make restaurant quality dishes at home and they didn't know how hmm. and the best way to do that is oyster sauce because okay. it adds glossiness to to the uh, to the food So we brought that in as an innovation and now we are innovating again taking it to the next level. You're making me hungry Binu. <laughs> hungry for I don't know innovation or for food I'm not sure anymore but <laughs> you um, have to wait till lunch. <laughs> exactly there we go. Well Binu it's been a pleasure to have you at the studio and and talk about all things innovation across not just products but how you lead the team and and think about the future. Um it's been a real pleasure. And of course, uh you know, I my signature end questions are you hiring it? Obviously, you guys are with the Spark Your Way program, but across other functions too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. How how big is the the team now at Nestle? You know, about 2800 people. 2800. Well, for those of you looking for something new, you can be 2801. Uh you can join Binu's team here in Ho Chi Minh City, but across the nation as well. Yeah. Uh Binu, it's been a pleasure. 
Thank you for My joining pleasure, us. My pleasure, Alf. Thank you for having me here. Yes. And thank you to all of our audience listening or watching today's podcast. Uh, without you, the show would not be possible. So please keep tuning in. Subscribe, follow, like the video, like the podcast, share it to all your friends. And of course, if you see me on the streets of Ho Chi Minh City, please say hi. Until next time, thank you guys. Thank you, Binu. Thank you. Take care. Established in 1995, Nestle Vietnam has continuously expanded its investment in diversified products to serve the needs of food and nutrition. The company has the goal of optimizing the role of food to improve the quality of people's lives today and for generations to come. You can also check out the video version of this podcast on our other platforms such as YouTube and Facebook. New episodes are out every week. So don't forget to subscribe to Vietcetra's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube channel for more interesting content.